really interesting story here. Singapore gained its independence not all that long ago, relatively speaking, less than 60 years ago. It was 1965, to be exact. At that time, it was a relatively poor country. Wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't a world beater. Today, though, Singapore is one of the richest countries on Earth. So how did they do that? You know, that's a pretty quick turnaround. And here's the important part. Can we steal from them? We'd be crazy not to. I'm a big proponent and take a look at what's worked in other places and then do it, right? I don't care if you're talking about building an LRT or whatever the case may be. If there's something that's worked somewhere else, steal that idea. Steve Globerman is a senior fellow at the Fraser Institute and recently looked closely into what Singapore has done and what might transfer here. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, let's start by getting the details of Singapore's turnaround, because it's pretty remarkable, right? Um, you know, if we use the typical measuring sticks that we use for economic factors, you know, GDP, for example, one we're all familiar with, what does it tell us? What's happened in Singapore in the last 60 years? Well, the, the, the story is that it's a remarkable uh, growth experience. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, in 1961, that, that's just before independence, Singapore's real gross domestic product per capita, which is the standard way that economists measure standards of living. Singapore's real GDP per capita in 1961 was only about 20% of real GDP per capita in the United States, which was the benchmark uh, country. Uh, by 2020, real GDP in the two countries were, were virtually identical. And, and that, of course, is with substantial growth in the U.S. economy. So, so that just testifies to to the, 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 the growth story that Singapore uh, can tell. Yeah, I mean, and like you say, GDP, but I mean, personal, um, you know, incomes, people living in Singapore, making a lot more money, economic growth. Um, so everything, all of those factors combined, they're all heading in the same direction. It's all good news for the people of Singapore. Correct. Now, let's how did they do it? I mean, how did they accomplish this? What what changes did they make? First of all, I think a lot of people might think, well, what did the government do? Uh, did they spend a bunch of money? They didn't, right? There was very little, if any, government spending to make this happen. That's true. Uh, but, but let's back up one second. I mean, Singapore did inherit uh, some features that were conducive to growth. It inherited the British system of, of independent uh, courts, which protected private property rights, um, it uh, basically inherited a, a tradition of open and free trade, and, and that should be emphasized as a major feature of the, the growth story. Um, now, what did Singapore government? What did the government do in Singapore? Well, this this raises an interesting, uh, a, a bit of a controversy. Uh, Singapore's government was not uh, completely hands off, laissez faire, let the market determine everything. Singapore's government did engage in a fair amount of subsidies uh, to businesses that it wanted to develop in, in industries that it thought were growth industries. Um, it even took ownership positions in companies. So th that sounds like a socialist story, yeah. and that, that's why we that's why we thought Singapore would be an interesting story. But but it's important to to recognize that there are unique features of that government intervention. First of all, the government expected the businesses that it subsidized to operate as commercial enterprises. That is to be efficient and maximize profits. Um, the managers of those companies were rewarded, were rewarded on the basis of how efficient and, and how uh, profitable the companies were, not, not a whole bunch of other uh, objectives. Now, overlaying on top of that is what you mentioned earlier, is that the government's 
spending as a share of the economy in Singapore is about 15%. That's very low yeah. by wealthy standards. That means that tax rates were very low. Okay. Singapore has, has one of the lowest corporate tax rates in the world, and of course that encouraged investment. And personal tax rates, too. And personal tax rates, too, which encouraged people to uh, uh, obtain education, uh, increase their income levels by being more productive in the labor force, because they kept more of the income that they earned. Gotcha. Makes sense. Okay. Tell me about the personal savings account that you document. Uh, how, uh, how exactly did those work? What was the government's plan there, and how? what was the payoff? Okay. So uh, Singapore is not the only country in the world that has personal savings accounts, but probably they they have the most extensive system of personal savings accounts. So these these are accounts where it's it, money is taken at at the um, uh, as a payroll tax. Uh, so employers and employees pay into a fund essentially, which then becomes the personal savings of the individual who has paid the tax. That 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 savings can be used for a variety of purposes: education, health care, housing, retirement. Um, and what that means is that, the, unlike most Western countries, where it's the government that is actually uh, uh, controlling the spending, as as in the case of. of uh, Canada's healthcare system, where the government is the single payer, people have control of their own accumulated savings and can spend it in ways that they deem important. And of course, at the end of the day, um, if there's money left in that savings account, it can be passed on to heirs or to charity. Now, what that means is, first of all, it gives people a real stake in being careful in how they use social services, uh, but it but it also means the government can keep taxes low uh, because it's not paying directly for all the services that that, that are uh, demanded by people in, in in the areas that we just mentioned, um, and and that's that's really a, 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 a indicator of the emphasis in the society on personal responsibility which also is part of the growth story. Right, yeah. I'm going to get to that in a sec, but I'm I'm just wondering in terms of creating your social services system like that, you know, does the safety net have holes? Like if if somebody doesn't exercise that personal responsibility or or some people, you know, I mean if you've got a really sick kid, your your costs go up exponentially, right? So, I mean, how does that work in terms of making sure that everybody is taken care of in society? Or does it? Well, it, it, it does. Uh, some people would argue uh, it doesn't do enough, but the, the government does have safety nets. Uh, if you have, if you're a low-income earner, and and take the example you just gave, and you have a major medical expense, and you don't have enough in your personal savings account to cover those costs, there are safety okay. net programs. But I want to emphasize this because this is important. The expectation is that you're going to do your best to earn a sufficient living to support yourself. I mean, the, the, the notion of being able to free ride on other people's uh, productivity is really anathema in Singapore. And that's a social moray. That's a, that's, a, that's a principle that the society as a whole has. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay, so um, can we do that here? I mean, because I think a lot of people, and I'm sure people in our audience would say, that's the problem. We don't have that mindset here. We have too many people that are far too willing to take advantage of the system and don't have that I need to look after myself mentality. And they would say government's created that. Can we change that here, do you think? Well, 
I, I guess the answer would be a qualified yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, other countries, as I say, have uh, some features of the personal savings account that Singapore has, um, but but it, it's not easy because you are well as you're suggesting. It's a it's it's not just an economic phenomenon. It's a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. And, and whether Canadians are willing to accept that, well, uh, the, the reward is much faster economic growth. That that's the story. And um, we all know that one of the one of the one of the issues that we're dealing with in Canada is that we haven't grown in ten in a decade. We've had the slowest rate of growth since the Great Depression. Well, if that becomes a more important. Uh, imperative for society, maybe Canadians would be more willing to move in that direction. It's a very interesting thought process for sure. Steve, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here.